by doing a lot of those research and getting loads of those qualitative research, we realized there's actually a lot more Bofu keywords. There's actually different ways people are searching for a product. So why not create use cases based on those Bofu terms that are handed to us, you know? We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com AWT and sign up for free. And now, back to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO Show. I'm your host, George Hasiotis, and today I'm very happy and excited to be joined by Leticia Vue. Leticia is a highly motivated con marketing and organic growth director dedicated to building and growing strong B2B brands, experienced in managing content, PR, SEO, and marketing campaigns for both global brands and startups. She possesses exceptional written and oral communication skills gained through several successful positions in both London and Barcelona. Leticia, welcome to the SASSEO show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So as we do with every guest here at the, uh, at the podcast, uh, my first question would be about you and your background. If you could mm-hmm. let us know a few things about uh, your journey so far and, you know, uh, try to help us understand what has brought you to where you are today. Yeah, sure. Um, so basically, so again, uh, for some of you, you realize I have a bit of an accent. So I'm French. So I all started off, um, back home. So I was, I grew up in Paris and, and moved to London, um, to study. So to learn English. So a couple of years. So to learn English. And the plan was to stay there for a couple of years, but fell in love with London and ended up studying and, um, picking up kind of like my all time fashion, which was a passion, which was journalism. So I did the journalism and media degree in in London and the plan was to to be to become a journalist but uh, you know as life would have it 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 wasn't to be so I stumbled across a career that I had never heard of which was a uh, public relation so I did a, a course on public relation and uh, this is when I kind of like my love for communication and public relation really kind of arise and and from there I just was um, determined to to kind of break into the public relation um, work 
standard and especially agencies because in London they're very well known for having you know big um, PR agencies so one of my dream was to go to one of the biggest ones so Edelman, Ketchum so I did a lot of internship and ended up working in one of my dream agency at uh, in Ketchum and, and I just worked my way up uh, work in communication and um, essentially worked for major brands um, such as a mix of B2B and B2C brands but uh, I think my sweet spot was from the get-go was always B2B and um, so it all started that way and, and four years ago I, I just uh, I had the opportunity to relocate to, to Barcelona so um, ended up moving to Barcelona and uh, uh, working in the in the company where I'm I'm currently still working Redpoints, and um, the st the journey started in as a kind of PR specialist started off uh, to start the PR efforts especially so Redpoint is a Barcelona based company so the idea was that they wanted to expand and uh, especially looking at uh, growing in the US so I came in to help with public relation uh, in uh, in uh, the US and then turns out that I just also now discovered uh, marketing content marketing and also also fell in love with it and and next thing led to another I had um, you know different opportunities and one of them was to kind of like step into the marketing world and I think very much what happened, what was quite interesting when I joined Redpoints and um, working in-house is that I had always worked in PR in agencies. So I was, I had a very much a PR mindset. I always wanted to get coverage for my clients. And my end goal was like, I want to be in the financial times. You know, it doesn't matter what it, you know, like there was no clear measurement metric, but I want to be in the financial time. Uh, it has X amount of impression. So this all what I was upset obsessed about and then when I entered Redpoints I discovered the world of um, marketing being attribution measurement and from that point on I realized that okay there's something missing in what I do like I want to be able to keep writing content influencing people but I want to be able to link that back you know to track to attribute you know the, what I'm doing to kind of link it back to to revenue and um, and then I stumbled across uh, a book that was called Inbound PR and this is when they all started so I actually brought the book with me here so this is a book uh, called Inbound PR which was really interesting and I was talking about this kind of like taking the best of PR which is you know content storytelling and the best of inbound kind of combining it together and uh, and um, and kind of making sure that all the effort that you, you put it you would put in PR you would be able to track them and then I was introduced to Google Analytics and everything so and next thing led to another I had the opportunity to to then join the content team and then I move my way up uh, all the way until now. Many, many interesting things. First of all, like, I don't know how many uh, people we've interviewed for the podcast that have a background in journalism. So I think that this is a common pattern with content marketeers uh, having a, a background in journalism, which is great. The other thing, I, I don't know how, like, what's what was your experience working at an agency? But I think that as crazy as it may be at times working at an agency, you know, like having to uh, work with all these different clients, all these different projects and so on. I, I also find it very valuable for someone who, you know, starts their, their career, their journey to get this 
opportunity to to do this kind of work for all these different you know companies and see things from all these different perspectives let's say yeah i and i totally agree i wouldn't do it any any other way i think it served me well to be um, working in agencies because i was juggling between at sometimes i had like five different accounts and the accounts were one of them was png and then all of the sudden booking.com and then another you know so it was different industries and it was big account but i had to learn a lot of skills which i've been able to apply in my uh in my job now so a lot of transferable skills so you have to be fit quick on your feet like think on on your feet so you know going from one topic to another and depending on the account you were required to do different things on an account maybe we were meant to generate uh, i remember one of our biggest account at the time was nissan and it was all around you know sustain it was all about ev electric vehicle electric cars so all of a sudden i had to put my ev hat and think about writing a press release around the future of of um of cars and then and then another minute i would think of, of png and, and and writing about detergent so it just made me be very agile and also very i think i'm i'm quite i can quite easily jump from a project to another but one of the downsides that i would see is that what i was missing at the time was i really wanted i really wanted to dig deep into a specific topic because i felt like i kind of knew i was you know masters of, of none so i knew many many different topics but i just wanted to have the opportunity to kind of dig deep which is something that i can do uh, right now yeah yeah that makes sense now uh, you are at red points for people who have never heard of red points could mm -hmm. you please share a couple of things about what the companies and what the company's product does mm -hmm. and who gets the most value out of this uh, this product okay so as i um briefly mentioned earlier so so red points we are currently so we're based out in in uh, barcelona we have also offices in in uh, in new york and salt lake city and we are a revenue recovery platform so what that means is that we work we've currently worked with over 1000 brands worldwide and we help them recover recover revenue and the way we do that is mm, if i put it kind of uh, in plain terms so right now the majority of people buy things on e-commerce you know online but what happens with brands so we are kind of on the side of brands we're protecting brands we're b2b uh, SaaS company and if what we're seeing is a spike and an increase in counterfeits fake website impersonation or piracy so what what many brands face is that when they are kind of selling their products uh, there's many instances where their intellectual property assets are being stolen by bad actors to pass as them and the end goal of the bad actors is to uh, mislead consumers into buying their products you know so what we can do is that we're protecting uh, a brand's intellectual property and the way we can do it is sounds complicated but it's actually quite easy in the sense that when you're a brand usually you when you do your due diligence so you have your trademark your copyright and these are all assets that prove that a brand belongs to you so when you work with us you know brand is able to provide us with those assets as well as a list of authorized sellers that they're working with and what we can do is that our platform scroll the internet 24 7 to detect if any bad actors is leveraging one of our customers assets so for example if they created a fake um, account on amazon or on facebook or where wherever that be to sell either counterfeit products or to mislead consumers into uh, providing their personal information so we do that 
our bread and butter was um, historically so counterfeit, so brand protection. But now what we're seeing as a growing trend is definitely what I mentioned. So fake website and impersonation attacks. So whenever there's instances like this, brands work with us and we're able to to kind of automate the process. It's a process that, if you think about it, it's a process that brand would usually take, um, if, if done manually, it would take brands hours to do. So they would need to do, to monitor one by one each website to find infringement, but we're able to automate that process and then send a cease and desist letter to the different platform to make sure that those assets are taken down and that they're not missing out on, on revenue that's, you know, that's rightfully theirs. Yeah, that's that's a whole uh, new world for for me because mm-hmm. you know I guess that is mostly important for for bigger brands, right? I mean, uh, in order for you to get to the level where someone can copy you or, um, mm-hmm. but I don't know, is it for bigger brands only, or you, would mm-hmm. you say that any brand uh, has yeah. to be protected? No, that's a good point. And actually, what we find is that this happens from smaller, like small brands and bigger brands and across all different industries. So, uh, as long as you have a product, you know, you're selling a product. Uh, we've even seen instances of, uh, people who had, um, were still at the crowd, uh, crowdfunding stage. So they were still trying to push their product out and they had been, their product had been counterfeited at that stage. So this is across, uh, you know, a variety of, you know, big or smaller brands. But of course, um, when it comes to the investment that needs to be put into, you know, uh, acquiring a solution like ours, it requires a certain budget and usually it's more kind of accessible to mid-market enterprise companies who have potentially, you know, already have an intellectual property department in place or who are already doing something about the problem. So it really depends, actually. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Now, um, let's get into some, some more content SEO specific questions. Yeah. Um, and my first one would be, let's, let's talk about content strategy. Um, I would like to know what drives your, your content strategy. Is it purely, you know, product driven or do you go out of, uh, the topic sometimes and experiment with keywords, content ideas, and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. I guess my question would be, how do you define con strategy at red points and what drives that strategy? Mm-hmm. So our content strategy has evolved a lot. So since I've been kind of in the team, so we've initially, so SEO, uh, SEO has always been a part of our strategy, but it wasn't always the main pillar of our brand protection, of our brand protection, sorry, of our content strategy. So, um, now, as of today, 2022, when you look at our content strategy, so it's mainly based on a content cluster strategy. So we think of content based on different clusters. So we've early on, we've identified different topics that are very important to our buyer persona. And then the way we work is that we create topic based on those different clusters, have our main, you know, pillar pages, supporting content. So that's something that's very important for us. But of course, alongside, uh, you know, meeting the search intent and creating content that satisfies our, our users, we also have to align with the company as a whole. So whenever, um, all our content, all the content that we create, we always weave in some of our product. And uh, if we are planning on launching a new product, uh, we, as part of our go-to-market strategy, we would always have content as a core part. So we would already be setting the scene by uh, creating content 
already around the topic even if we don't have the product yet we would already start kind of you know kind of planting the seeds creating content about it and then we can then in retrospect add ctas or you know link people to our product pages but i would say it's seo yes I, I, if i had to quantify it currently it's 60 percent seo but then we also have those 40 percent. we also do a lot of thought leadership content a lot of the thought leadership content that we do though we tend to do it on third party websites. So what we find is that a lot of, um, a lot of the um, bio persona, they consume, um, a lot of content from well known IP uh, publications. And we have a lot of partnership with those IP publications. Uh, we also have a partnership with Forbes, uh, Forbes councils as well. So we have different partnerships. And what we do is that we have in house experts. Um, and then we create content. So we have, we create tailored content for some of the third party websites. And obviously that also allows us to get some, some backlinks. But we also try and make sure that we are positioning ourselves as thought leaders where our bio persona are consuming content. So whenever I, for example, do interviews or talk to, cli to client or customer, I always ask them, what do you read? Where do you get your content from? And a couple of publications keep on popping up. So we always try and having some content out there. So it's not all on our blog. I mean, of course, the majority is on our blog. This is where we spend the most of our time. But we also make sure to be where our bio persona are. Yeah, that makes sense. In your opinion, what is the, the balance, uh, let's say, <clears throat> between content that's created, written for SEO, um, for a search audience, and original content such as data studies, storytelling, mm -hmm. contra contrarian content, and so on? Yeah. So, I mean, in the perfect world, I would love the balance to be. And again, this, I think, it, in the case of Redpoint, and this would depend on where a company stands, you know. But uh, in the case of Redpoint, initially, you know, at first when we started to, so four years ago, when we really started looking at SEO, SE, uh, SEO as a main driver for our content strategy. So I would say maybe three years ago, um, 80% was SEO, so, you know, keyword research based. But now as a company, as we are becoming more mature, we continue to write SEO uh, based content, but we also try and strike a balance because we also want to make sure that we give ourselves some room to create content on topic that maybe currently don't have any search volume, but we know are of interest to our, our bio persona. So the balance is still, I would say, 60% SEO and maybe 40%, um, you know, original content. But yeah, we're trying to constantly, what we, we've been doing historically in the past is a lot of market research, you know, like uh, using internal data. We do a lot of the content team works really closely with the PR team. So initially I was part of the PR team, but now there's a different team. So we work together to do campaigns, to do campaigns together. So where, for example, at different um, time in the year, so around the holiday season, um, the start of the year. So we would align and think, okay, this is a, critical time for our audience, let's create a market research, let's create original content and let leverage it, leverage it with the press, but also let's leverage it within our content. So, you know, we, we do a bit, a bit of mix, but to be transparent, the majority is still SEO based. And that's a, that's a you know that's a good thing because it, it obviously works well for for mm -hmm. you. So uh, why not? 
even though you touched on that a bit earlier with your answer, I would like to dive a bit deeper into into it, uh, and I would like to to ask how important is the product in in choosing what specifically what to write about. For example, uh, you launched the feature page on NFT mm-hmm. protection in in May, which I didn't know that you know this is a thing actually that there is a uh, a whole I need to protect my my NFT project or whatever <laughs> thing, but apparently there is, um, and my question here would be uh, regarding content. Does that mean that NFTs will will be in your con calendar at some point in the future? Um, I think that right now you have a couple of of blog posts about it, but exactly. I would like to to hear your thoughts on that. Even though you kind of kind of touched on that earlier, yeah, and NFT is a really good example. So yeah, this is something that we've launched. Uh, we've launched in May, and uh, currently we are supporting the launch of uh, this new feature by creating content you know supporting content so definitely like content cannot work in silo so we we work really closely with the product team product marketing and we just need we need to be aligned with the companies where the company is going so product is definitely a core part of also our, our product our content strategy so when whenever we'll be launching a product they would be supporting content but also like i said it's very important that I would say maybe a couple of years ago we would write what's come to us, what came to us, you know. But now we always try and make sure, okay, we have those content cluster. Each content cluster has is related to a specific product, and then we're making sure that you know we've weaving in. There's room to weave in the product within all of the content. So I wouldn't say that product dictates the content strategy, but equally the content strategy cannot be done without having in mind. Um, you know, our core, um, you know, our core product. So it, I would say that, um, right now there's a really good balance where, whereby with the mechanism that we've put into place, all the content resolves around what we offer, except for what, well, like I said, there's also room for some thought leadership content that sometimes doesn't, um, directly relates to content that we have, but to a pain point that we know our, uh, biopersona is, is interested in. That's that's uh yeah that's that that makes perfect sense. Uh, I like to suit gears a bit, um, and um, I, I would like to comment on something I really liked on your blog, which is your top level navigation, uh, where people can choose a topic by industry, solution, content type, region, and even platform. Can you speak about the logic behind this this structure a bit, which is something that. You know, I, I I look at many blogs uh, daily uh, for for uh, my work. Uh, is not something that that's not something I I see very very often. Okay, that's interesting. That's um, but that I mean from from uh, from the way we came, you know, we decided that structure. So just to take you a bit of few years back. So initially our blog was on HubSpot. And then we uh, decided, I think, right during the pandemic to move our blog. Um, so back to our main domain. And um, so then when we did that, we kind of took a step back and, and thought, so how do our 
because sometimes I think what's happened with many brands is you make many assumptions. Sometimes you think your consumers are, are you know, searching for your biopersonal searching a certain way. You're making another assumption, but we really took a step back and leveraged qualitative and quantitative data. So we have a lot of data that we get from the forms, especially in our form where there's a comment section where we ask a lot of questions to, uh, you know, whenever someone is submitting a form. So we can, we extract that data and on a monthly basis and we always look at that data this information we also really work on understanding you know go going on google search console understanding how people search and one of the um, one of the mechanism one of the things that we've noticed is that the way people search there was kind of a bit of a trend so when people were searching for or ended up on our website they would either be looking for um searching by problem so they would say you know uh, for example uh, how to take down a copyright infringement or how to take down a trademark infringement or patent infringement. So we realized that the problem was usually the way people search. But then from those data, we could see that not only problems, but people would often say where the problem was. So how to take down the copyright infringement on Amazon, on Facebook, on, you know, on they would name the platform. So we realized that over and over, those were the way people would find us. So people would say, leave in the comment form, you know, you know, I'm dealing with copyright infringement on this platform. I'm dealing with this on that platform. So this kept coming up. So we understood that this was a way that the users were expressing some of the their concerns. So we thought, why not just in the section, making it clear, you know, what type of infringement the blog post will be focused on in on what platform we're going to be focusing on. And we know we knew that, you know, country, because depending on the countries, the mechanism change changes. So if you're taking down infringement in a specific country, like the region is really important in the way uh, it might infect where the way you're taking down infringement. So based on all this collective data, we were able to kind of come up with um, the menu and we're finding a lot you know we've got a uh, hot jar so we're seeing that um our the users are actually using the menu as a way of navigating so we've been refining this menu it hasn't always been like that so we're constantly refining it but i think we found this sweet sweet spot and i think the best way to do that is is to always listen to what uh, the users are saying to you and we're talking to the sales team doing interviews and that's how we can identify trends and patterns that we can leverage to make the user experience more that's uh, that's great valuable. and it's it's uh it's it's fascinating. It's one of the best things I've heard so far um, in the podcast. Like I, I really like it, and I really like the the structure and logic behind it. Um, a follow up question, I guess, to to that, since we kind of like uh, discussing keyword research now and how people search and what people search. How do you come up with like this? If we could call them, I don't know if we would call them search mm -hmm. modifiers, but um, how do you come up with words like report? fake protection or like whatever people may be searching for that's connected to the product's capabilities mm -hmm. so there's different ways so first i think one thing that is worth noting is that from an organic and SEO standpoint, we work very closely with our PPC team. So um, we are kind of on a weekly basis. We sit down with the PPC team and we're constantly extracting data from PPC as well, understanding what keywords are working. And then we're kind of doing this exchange of information, which also allows us to, to identify a lot of new keywords. But in general, like I mentioned, the main way to identify those search modifier has been by leveraging qualitative data and also by 
knowing, depending on the stage, you know, depending on what level of the funnel the customer is, like top, middle, or, or um, bottom. So we've seen trends such as, you know, how to, and in our case, when the main problems that um, someone who has, you know, someone who has a problem, the main problem that they would have is re reporting is kind of like a basic term that our users would, would search, like how to report this there like in that in that case the, the good the good thing with the industry is that the reporting fake counterfeits those search modifiers are something that we know from experience and then what we are seeing and that keeps coming up and of course there's so many there's also a lot of um there's a lot of things that can be uh search modifier based on on like i said the level of on the funnel so if they're on the bottom of the funnel we would see things like um modifiers like solutions or like software or like pricing so we would use this as well to understand at what stage they are but most of the time google search console as well gives us a lot of the information uh, we have over 400 pieces of content on our blog currently and we do this work uh, on a weekly basis of constantly looking at existing ranking content. And this provides you with so much information as well on what people are searching and what led them to a specific blog post. And what's quite interesting in, in many cases, some of the keywords that we extract on Google Search Console, if you put them in SEMrush, they would have zero search volume. But we know that actually once we optimize for this keyword, it does generate traffic, but not only does it generate traffic, but the conversion rate is outstanding. So leveraging data that we have from existing content works really well, working with PPC as well. And like I said, depending on the funnel stage, trying different variations so the how-tos and uh, the bofu search modifiers also way that makes perfect sense i, I mean you couldn't like structure the answer uh, in a better way that's 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 great uh, to your point you mentioned that you have like more than 400 posts on your blog uh, i think that it's more than 450 uh, correct me if i'm wrong some of which yeah. in in other languages of course mm -hmm. and my question here would be with such a big content inventory, uh, do you care about not only creating new content, but also making sure that what we have on our blog works and performs at its best uh, at all times? I guess my question would be uh, what you do in terms of content auditing, uh, you know, of your uh, existing content inventory. Yes. So when it comes to content edit uh, auditing, this is something that's really important for us because a lot of the content that we create uh, is responsible for generating qualified demand. So what I mean by that is demo, pricing, contact. And it's really important for us to not forget about those blog posts because, of course, there's always new competi competitors popping up. So um, what we do is we do kind of a weekly exercise of always making sure that our top performing pieces of content are always well optimized. So we do that by, you know, going in Google Search Console and making sure that the main keywords that they're supposed to rank for are still on position one. So this is an exercise that we do. But also because we're churning and we're creating so much content. So currently we're in a place where we create about 25 pieces of content a month. So a lot of content is spent in uh, um, 
in a lot of time is spent in creating content. So we make sure that also that content doesn't get forgotten. So we work with an SEO consultant as well, who's responsible for auditing that new content on a bi-weekly basis. So we usually give a content a chance to rank. Of course, we give the content at, at least a month to rank. But then after that, the, the content has been ranking for a month. So we have a note to constantly check and making sure that this content is still well positioned. So we would, would take this exercise. And so that would mean that every two weeks, we are optimizing at least 10 new pieces of content. So we're creating at least 25 pieces of content and every week optimizing 10 pieces of content. So it's a very time consuming, uh, um, you know, exercise, but it's also very important because we, we know that in some cases for you know, we have a lot of competitors and they would always be, you know, going after similar keywords, which makes sense. And uh, so it's important for us to not forget about those those blog posts once we've created new ones. That makes sense. And I would say that it's necessary. I mean, you and the numbers that you just heard, 25 and 10, let's say approximately there, that's that, that makes perfect sense. And I think that it helps you also maintain a balance because you can just publish content and have a very high uh, publishing fre frequency, publishing velocity, and just forget about the content that you that you already have. One thing that really sparked my interest uh, when I was as I was doing the research for this episode is the reading time of your con pieces. Many of them are the are in the range of four minutes, let's say, mm -hmm. and by many standards, this would be you know considered as l relatively low. But mm -hmm. I think that what is Mostly important is giving the answer to the question that the person, when they were conducting the search, had. Mm -hmm. But I would like to hear your thoughts on content length and, mm -hmm. you know, how does having, um, let's say, less words uh, work for you? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to creating content, so we always do our, our due diligence. So, and I know maybe we might touch on uh, on that a bit later. But as part of the brief, whenever we work with freelancers or if we create content internally, one of the one of the exercises that we do is to check, okay, what currently is ranking on the SERP for a specific keyword that we want to rank for. So we would always do the exercise and should we see that the pieces of content that are ranking currently on the SERP are longer pieces of content or, you know, we would try and match, you know, what Google is already ranking. So usually we take this approach. Um, I would say that uh, there's because there's a lot of pieces of content that we have, maybe how tos that tends to be, you know, shorter, um, just because of the nature of the content. So the nature of, of, of what the topic is. But in general, I would say that our rule of thumb is to follow what the SERP tells us. So if we're seeing there's long pieces, long pieces of content ranking, we would do. If it's listicle, we would tend to follow what uh, is currently ranking. So, so yeah, I think it's, out of those 450 pieces of content, I think there's a mix. I think there would be some for four minutes, but I think there would be there, there would be a mix of, of longer and shorter pieces based on what we assessed made sense at the moment. And then again, in the exercise of whenever we're doing the optimization, if we're seeing that okay, maybe this piece of content this piece of content is not ranking well. So some sometimes we would add some paragraph later down the line. We're like, okay, maybe it's because of the length, we need to create more. So we would sometimes be adding content on top uh, to make sure that we're covering or at least we are providing even more information to satisfy um, the you know the search intent. 
That, that makes sense. So I would like to shift gears a bit and discuss something um, that has to do with how you do content. Uh, it seems that there are several freelancers writing for your blog. Now, my question is, since the, the topics you're writing about aren't as easy for anyone to, to, to write about, how do you find these writers uh, that have this specialized knowledge? Uh, and I would like to know if there are any tips or insights that you can share with us. Mm -hmm. Yes, so it's a, it's it's a very complicated exercise because, as you mentioned, it's such a niche space where we operate. So legal tech is is very niche. So there's different ways that uh, we we go about finding writers, and and we've made mistakes in the past, and we're constantly learning and and trying to refining the process. But I would say so. We now know that it's very important for any writer that we work we work with to have an IP background, just because of uh, you know our bio persona. We have. Um, uh, by just looking at our products, a lot of our biopersonized legal, uh, you know, has a legal background. So whoever we work with, we want to make sure that they're able to communicate well to a legal, um, to a legal biopersona. So it's important for them to have worked in the legal space. So we're very picky about that. And, uh, in terms of, uh, the selection process as well. So we would provide, we would work on very detailed briefs and tests uh, to try and understand uh, kind of like uh, how well they understand the topic. And, um, and I would say looking at places where we go for copywriters, it, it just varies. So Upwork is one of the one that comes to mind. Uh, although there's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, of, uh, of people there. So it's, it can be tough sometimes to find, uh, the right, the right one. But Upwork has been a place where we've been sourcing writers and we've also been leveraging, uh, loads of groups. So you've got a lot of groups with copywriters and, and ultimately kind of go, Google, so looking at you have IP, IP writers. So I would search for IP writers as well and kind of proactively reach out to them. But it takes a lot of time. And, and I think at the end of the day, like, um, finding a writer might sound like the hardest part, but it's not necessarily. I think then it's about coaching and working with the writers. You need to invest. I mean, a writer becomes an extension of your team. That's the way we work with them. So once we've onboarded a writer, it's not because they know about IP laws that they know about what we do. So it's really important as well that we invest time in showing them our products, you know, so we show them a lot of um, recordings, demos. We make them joining, you know, they join calls with us uh, whenever we do interviews with customers. We tend to record them, send it to them. So there's a big part uh, that we invest in in coaching the writers, working with them, providing feedback. So I think it's a very long journey. So once you find a writer, it's about also retaining it because you invest a lot of time and effort uh, in you know bringing them up to speed. But it's definitely, by all means, a very lengthy but worthwhile process because once you get your 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 writers, you you can tell a real difference in terms of the performance of your content. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, a question I have for you is, um, regarding, I guess your background as well. Um, and I, I, I want to discuss a bit con promotion and link building. Do you have a process, um, in place after a piece of content has been published on your blog? Um, do you separate pieces of content based on their quote unquote ability to be amplified online? For example, this piece of content can be amplified on social media while this, you know, the distribution channel will be just 
search engine, Google, for example. So is there a process around con promotion and link building and whether yes. or not you have a way of kind of separating a piece of content based on their relative ability of being amplified in different ways? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so we definitely, when it comes to link building, we have like a process in place. So what we do is we usually invest uh, time in link building for the content that is performing well in terms of generating us good quality leads. So when we know that the content has generating us those de generate those demo, those pricing, those contact. So we want to make sure that this content remains, you know, top of page one, you know, that is ranking on position one. So we would make sure on a weekly basis. So we uh, actually we have currently what we're doing is about like seven we do seven link building a month. So that's what we do at the minute. And then we select them based on existing content that's driving us good quality leads. That's 100% how we're doing it. But then when it comes to promotion, so a lot of the content that we have, again, as we said, we publish over 25 pieces of content a, a, a month. So the rest of the content that current or currently hasn't shown um, maybe is not performing as well or is not ranking just well, but we're not forgetting about it. We're also making sure that we are using it across loads of different channels. So we would use this content across, uh, we would promote it via nurturing, we would promote it via social media. So in social media, we have a whole process into place. So what we try and do is uh, using social, so making sure that all the content that we put on our different social media platform, may that be Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, you know, well, and whatnot, so that the content is native to this platform. So we would have a, a strategy, kind of a repurposing strategy into place to turn a piece of content into an asset for Facebook, for uh, social, for LinkedIn, etc. So we would do that. So we will always make sure to promote new pieces of content that we've created. So we, because right now social media falls on the content, so our team also manages social media. So we would make sure that once a week we would promote one blog post. Um, then what we do, we also work uh, very closely with uh, the community team. And in that case, they working with associations. So we would leverage associations. We would leverage their newsletters, for example. We would leverage um, in some cases. So we would even, if we see that these are, co these are content that, let's say, we're working in a fashion association and we created a blog post on fashion, you know. So what we would do, we would put a bit of money behind that content and maybe to make sure that maybe we have um, we have a banner or we somehow the association can also put it on their social media. So we work also, we have a very good relationship with the association. So they would promote our content on social media. So that's also different channels. Then we also are part of different groups, you know, so in our case, anti-counterfeiting groups. So we would be publishing the content on groups as well, just to make sure that we give it a bit more uh, visibility. And I would say that would be kind of like the main ways that we're making sure that the, the content doesn't just sit on the blog and we forget about it. And then we're just, you know, amplifying it across different channels. I like the associations, uh, you know, part, uh, that's, that's very smart. And I mean, I have seen clients of ours leveraging it in a very smart way, similar way. And, uh, I like it. I mean, many, many good things can, uh, come out of, uh, of such like communities, uh, let's say, yeah. um, my second to last question would be <clears throat> in 2021, you, you doubled SEO contribution to pipeline, uh, quarter over quarter. Mm -hmm. What advice uh, can you give to people in 
a position that's similar to similar to yours who want to achieve similar results so i would say i mean in our case and uh, like i mentioned before i think it's you really need to avoid making assumption and take a lot of time to dig deep into your all the data that you can get from your customers because what really allowed us to get to that point was we've, uh, we had a bit of a breakthrough again when we were getting through the data and starting to better understand how our users are searching for our products which allowed us to come up with an entirely new project where we created a bunch of new use cases um, use cases that so in a nutshell initially what we were doing is that the main ways, like the main bottom of the funnel uh, pages that were driving us kind of those um, both leads were our product pages, which were optimized for certain specific keywords. But we we had like six or seven product pages, but then by doing a lot of those research and getting loads of those qualitative research, we realized there's actually a lot more Bofu keywords. There's actually different ways people are searching for a product. So why not create use cases based on those Bofu terms that are handed to us, you know? And we had this whole new project of creating bottom of the, bottom of the funnel landing pages that yes, for long tail keywords that drive less, less traffic, but the conversion rate was outstanding. And this came from just better understanding and not relying on our product pages, the one that we had had for, you know, years. And by creating new pages that satisfied more the way people were searching for our content. So it's really important to kind of um, work really closely on, in our case, this also led us to launching a new initiative where we do on a monthly basis, which we call um, uh, like a close one lost analysis where we sit down with the product marketing team and we look at all the close lost um, accounts, one or lost that we won. We look, we go deep, we've created a report on Salesforce and we are able to see the comments. Why did we lose? Why did we win? Why did they come to us? And we come out once a month, we sit down and we have some time where we can, you know, reflect and understand what the main issues were and where what our competitive ad advantages are. And usually from those meetings, new pages come up, new keywords come up, new ideas come up. So I think an understanding of your customers always would lead into um, projects and initiatives that would have a high impact. And in our case, from a very SEO, SEO focused mindset is we totally kind of, we, we kind of shifted gears. So, when we doubled uh, that, you know, the quota that we doubled uh, our contribution to pipeline. So it was kind of a long time coming from a new strategy that we had put into place. So we, like I said, now we're doing about 25 um, pieces of uh, content a month. But before that, the year before, we were only doing five, you know. So we basically more than quad quadrupled the number of content. So we did a big shift. So we really invested time in polishing our clusters, focusing on creating coherent content on topics that we knew our bio persona was interested in. And also we've invested a lot of time in not only scaling the content that we, we were creating, but like I said to you, also making sure that we found new ways of promoting it. And association has been good for us because the associations have you know paying members who are interested in this topic who want to know more and this has been also a really good source for us to be able to um, push our content so i would say in the recap has been to increase our content our, our, our content output and it's been to better understand our customers 
you know, every once a month sitting down and looking, not even once a month, you know, adding this into your kind of day-to-day -day job, understanding how your people search for your product and kind of a combination of that and and also alignment between marketing and sales has all contributed to 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 the result that we got. That's that's great. Uh, that's great. Thank you very much for bringing it down like like this, uh, Leticia. That that has all been very insightful, uh, I must say. Uh, so thank you very much. Uh, last question I have for you: call to action for our listeners. Where can people find out more about you? Connect uh, and say hi if they if they'd like to. Yeah, so LinkedIn is definitely the best place. So as you mentioned, so my name is Leticia Voué, W-O-U-E, and uh, you can you can find me on LinkedIn. You can you can drop me a message, and I'm always open to kind of sharing with my peers and and learning from one another to to become better content marketing and just uh, professional in general. That's great, Leticia. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you very thank much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you for staying with us until the end. Before you go, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com awt and sign up for free. Another episode of the SaaS SEO Show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.